to you tonight. We're thankful for your presence. We're thankful for this opportunity that we have to worship God. And to those of you that are visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. Tonight we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the passage that was read just a moment ago. As we think about the importance of bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. The heart or mind is really a reflection of who we are and what we are. Solomon, many, many years ago, said, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. He would also say in chapter 23 at verse 7 in the book of Proverbs, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. On another occasion, Solomon said, As in water, face reveals face. So the heart reveals the man. I want us to think for a minute or two about the heart, the mind. I really think it's important for us to appreciate what Paul said in writing to the church at Corinth. The importance of bringing every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. I want to begin tonight by talking about the challenge that we face in terms of our mind. As we contemplate this thought, let me just say that there is a raging war that is ongoing tonight. That war involves your mind, your heart. You see, the devil wants to take your mind, your heart, into captivity. I want us to begin as we consider the challenges that we face regarding the mind. I want us to begin by, first of all, talking about the adversary of the mind. The adversary, as you well know, would be the devil. Peter would say, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary the devil walked about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There are two things that I think the devil wants to do with regard to our mind or our heart. Number one, he wants to blind the mind or the heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul talks about the God of this age or the God of this world and that's the devil. And he said, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. The devil is interested in blinding your mind, your heart, to divine truth. And then secondly, the devil wants to bind or take into captivity, as Paul would say, your mind or your heart. Jesus had a lot to say about the heart. He also had a lot to say about the concept of bondage or servitude. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said that those who commit sin are the bondservants of sin. If the devil can capture your mind or your heart, 
then ultimately he has taken it into captivity. He has imprisoned that very important part of you. In talking about the heart or the mind, I want us to understand that the Bible talks about the outward man and the inward man. And as Solomon said, we ought to do our best to guard the inward man, the heart, the mind. Because, after all, the devil is doing his best to imprison your mind or your heart. How does the devil attack the mind of the heart. Is it not the case that, as Peter said, he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? Let me just say that the means by which the devil seeks to imprison your mind is summed up by John in 1 John chapter 2. He uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the tactics that he uses to bait or to entrap people. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 26 talks about those who are taken into captivity by the devil to do his will. So the devil is utilizing those things that are available to him, the world. So what are some of the challenges that we are facing? The things that come to my mind are not anything that you probably have not already thought about. But there are some things that are being sold to the human family today that when it's all said and done, are simply lies. The devil is trying to imprison our mind by first of all working on our young people. You say, well, how's that possible? We send our children to school, as I said a moment ago, or actually this morning. We send them to school because we want them to have a good education. Many of us have spent a lot of hard-earned money to educate our children. We want our children to be equipped so that they can one day have families of their own, make a good living, and have a good life. And yet, many of the classrooms that our children are sitting in Specifically, I think about in some of the universities. Many of those classrooms are nothing more than arenas wherein our young folks are being taught there is no God. Those who have higher learning, they have attained academic credentials to teach in universities. They talk to young, impressionable minds, and they tell them right up front, there is no God. They make fun of those that believe in Christianity. They talk about how there are no absolutes. 
We can't be sure about anything. And yet, the world itself gives indication of a creator. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Only a fool would look at the universe in which we live and say, There is no God. Psalm 14, 1. Only a fool would look at the human body and, and begin investigating how this body is woven together and conclude it's the product of evolution. And yet, over and over again, our young people are being fed. This is truth. And some of those who are in classrooms today dare young people to take offense at what they've said. So it may be the case that you're spending $20,000, $25,000 a year to educate your children. Wouldn't it be a shame to send your child to a university and spend some eighty dollars to $100,000 only to have them come out as an infidel? And let me tell you what, that has happened. It is happening. There are young folks today that have lost their faith because of institutions of higher learning. I'm not so naive as to think that our secondary schools are not emphasizing some of these same things. But there is a war going on. And that war is to garner allegiance of your mind. And then I think about our young people and how they're being told, you know what, you need to express yourself sexually. You need to experience sexual relations outside of marriage. Well, you see, we talk about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The Hebrew writer said in the long ago that the marriage bed is undefiled. But adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. In modern vernacular, it's called shacking up or living together. The Bible says it's wrong. Young people are being taught that it's acceptable. There are a lot of children today that have been born out of wedlock. Paul said that the younger women are to marry and then bear children based on 1 Timothy chapter 5. So what's happening in our society? What's happening is the devil is feeding upon the minds of our young folks. And then he sold, he sold them the lie. He's told our young folks, as well as those of us who are older in life, he has told us that there's nothing wrong with drinking alcoholic beverages. 
But I mean, after all, a beer or two is not going to hurt you. A glass of wine. Let me tell you what. I can't find a scripture that says, thou shalt not drink a beer or drink a glass of wine. But I can give you a lot of reasons why drinking only leads to destruction. Solomon said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. All he's saying is, you're a fool. If you think you can drink alcohol and it not destroy you. So those, those are some of the things that, that are being taught, that are being impressed upon folks today. And then I think about the religious world at large. You know, if I were the devil, I think one of the things that I would do is I would use religion to capture the minds of people, wouldn't you? I mean, doesn't it sound good when you talk about, hey, one church is as good as another? I mean, we can't be offensive, can we? The Bible says that we're to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. There are a lot of people today, young and old alike, they have bought into the idea that, number one, you can't know absolute truth, and yet Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free, John 8, 32. There are people today that have the idea that one church is as good as another. Think about this for a minute. Would you say that one suit of clothes is as good as another? Would you say that one dish of food is as good as another? What about a restaurant? Is one restaurant as good as another? You know the answers to those questions. Here's what the Bible says, and I want you to understand, this is what God said. God said, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Now somebody says, well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So how many bodies or churches are there? There's just one church. Well, who built the church? Jesus did, Matthew 16.18. When did he build it? Pentecost Day, in about A.D. 32 or 33. Where did he build it? In the city of Jerusalem. What's the law that regulates the church as we know it? The Bible. I hear people sometimes say, the church of Christ teaches this or teaches that or believes this or believes that. What we ought to say is, the Bible teaches this or that. We believe something because the truth says it. The church can be wrong, but God's word is never wrong. We're living in an age of pluralism. And there are a lot of our young folks today that are, that are embracing the idea, and I'm talking about young people generally, generally speaking. There are a lot of young folks today that, that have the idea it really doesn't matter the God you serve. There are more mature people that believe that as well. They've come to the conclusion that if you want to serve Buddha, that's your right. You want to be a follower of Islam, hey, that's, that's your right as well. You want to follow the God of heaven, that's okay. What we can't say is there's only one way.
How many people today do you think have bought into that idea? I suspect a whole lot of people. And yet the same Bible that says there is one body says there is one Lord and one God and Father of all. If we're going to follow someone, we need to follow truth. And we need to follow the God of truth. There are not many ways to heaven. There is only one way. A lot of folks today are banking everything they believe on what the majority says. Let me tell you what, go back and look at the Old Testament. Look at the New Testament and note the problems that occurred in the lives of people when they followed the multitude. And note the emphasis, if you would, on the word few. What we ought to do See what the devil's doing. He is garnering allegiance for the minds of people. We also talk for a minute about the entertainment industry. I like entertainment. I enjoy being entertained just as you. Since I was just a young fella, I like to watch TV. Occasionally, I enjoyed going to the movies. I've always liked music. And so, I want to preface what I'm saying by just emphasizing the fact that I'm not against entertainment. I'm not anti-TV. I'm not anti-music. When it comes to music, I like a number of different kinds of music. But I want you to understand something. The devil has, has garnered the allegiance of a lot of folks through television, the movie industry, and music. You know, there's, there, are some, there are some programs on television today, movies as well. I mean, if you want to just sum it up, they are not fit to watch. I want to ask you a question. How many times have you talked to other people about how, how bad television has gotten or how bad the movie industry has gotten? How many times have you talked to other people, friends and neighbors and family members, about some of the music that is being distributed in our nation today? You've talked about it. You've thought about it. When's the last time you turned the station because the programming was unfit to watch? When's the last time something came on the radio and you changed the station or you turned it off? When's the last time you went to a movie? And in that movie, there were graphic things that you had no business watching. When's the last time you got up and walked out? You see, the devil is in the business of selling us a bill of goods, and that bill of goods is false to the core. If you want to change the minds of people, how do you do it? You 
don't do it overnight. If you want to affect change, how you do it is you bring it about very slowly, methodically. And over a period of time, what happens is erosion. I mean, really, that's what happens. You remember Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15, when he asked the question, were they ashamed when they committed these abominations? His response, no, they were not at all ashamed. And here's what he said, neither could they blush. I fear that I, like many of you, that I've heard profanity so much that I don't even think about it anymore. I see things, I observe things, and because of erosion, I never give it a second thought. That's a dangerous thing. Paul said that we are to bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Did you know that in the spring of 2013, the FCC was making a move to allow more profanity and nudity on television. That was their agenda. Let me tell you what. If Hollywood has its way, and if the liberal media have their way, there will be a lot of programs on television that can be summed up in one word, filth, absolute filth. And I wonder sometimes, and I'm speaking to myself as well as each of you, I wonder sometimes, when are we going to have enough? When are we going to realize that as a child of God, there are some things we have no business doing? Think for a minute about television. Television is not, it's not a, diff, a difficult thing to operate, is it? There's what we call an on button and an off button. And then there is another instrument that allows us to change the channels. Maybe we need to turn the television off. Maybe we need to change channels. I want you to think about this for a minute. When you sit in a theater and you laugh at dirty jokes and filthy language, and when you take in unwholesome scenes and you are captivated by that, what's that say about you? in the minds of other people. Would you be embarrassed to tell somebody that you're a Christian? Wouldn't it seem to reason that if we're sitting in a place and they are spewing out nothing more than garbage, we'd say, you know what? I can't be a part of this. I have a reputation to protect. Not that I'm trying to be arrogant or conceited or holier than thou. 
But I understand that my mind, my mind is a receptacle for good or evil. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. The evil man, out of the evil treasure, evil things. What you put in will come out. Think about your reputation. Think about, think about this. What if you're in a theater or driving in your automobile or sitting in your room and you're watching a program or you're watching a movie or you're listening to some music and something comes on that you know is not going to help, help you spiritually speaking? Think about this. If Jesus were in the room with you, or in the automobile with you, what would you do? You couldn't get the, you could not turn the television or radio off quick enough, could you? I mean, be honest. Why? Because you would be embarrassed. I got news for you. The Lord is there. He's right there with you. Every step of the way, when you're singing the lyrics to songs, he's right there with you. When you're watching a movie or a television program, when that movie or that television program turns dark, so to speak, the Lord's there. Doesn't approve of it, but he's there. We need to think about who we are and what we are. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we're not to be conformed unto this world. Let me tell you what the problem in the church is tonight. I want to tell you what the problem is. It's a problem here. It's a problem in a lot of other congregations. It's the world. The world, look, I love every person in this church. I want you to know that. But there are some people in this church that the world has gotten a hold of. How do I know that? Here's what Jesus said. By their fruit, you shall know them. All I have to do is observe. If it walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck, what's the old saying? It's a duck. There's no sense in no sense in skirting the issue. The church today is being heavily influenced by the world. Paul said we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be transformed. The problem is, however, the world has reshaped our thinking. And so what, what has happened is... We think like the world, we act like the world, we dress like the world, and the bottom line is, we are the world. Now here's the question, what are we going to do about it? There are some folks that need to, need to make some changes. Not just here, but all over. 
I'm talking about the church at large. There are some folks that need to make some radical changes in their lives if, if they want to go to heaven. You see, what I'm talking about is not an opinion. It's truth. What I'm talking about is this. Will you be saved or lost? Will you go to heaven or hell? That's how imperative it is that we take care of our heart or mind. There's an old saying that has been used for many years. Garbage in, garbage out. You feed on stuff that is unhealthy, spiritually speaking, long enough. And you will be blinded. And ultimately, you will find yourself bound to a way of life that's unbecoming of a child of God. So, how do we capture our mind for Christ? I said a minute ago that this lesson is directed at me just as much as any of you. I understand that sometimes, sometimes we're not what we ought to be. What we ought to do, what we need to do is repent and do what's right. Make the decision to do right. There's a passage of scripture that a friend of mine said on one occasion, a fellow preacher, he said regarding this passage of scripture that it frightened him. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, Peter said, having eyes full of adultery, won't you listen to him? They cannot cease from sin. You can get caught up in a web of sin and live that way for so long the chances of extricating yourself from that lifestyle, please hear me very carefully, are remote at best. You love it too much. You just can't give it up. So, is it possible for us to capture our mind for Christ? I think the answer is yes. Here's what I think we need to do. We need to build a barricade around our mind or heart. Protect it. As Solomon said in the long ago, guard your heart with all diligence or with all vigilance. The reason is because out of it are the issues of life. The heart, the mind, your heart, your mind ought to be a precious commodity. And you ought to do everything within your power to guard it. At home, what do you do when you have something valuable? You lock it up, don't you? You got a safe at home? Why do you have a safe at home? Because you want to make sure that your prized possessions are safe and secure. Let me tell you what. Your heart, you need to guard it. 
So what about building a barricade? There are four things I think we ought to do. Number one, we ought to build a wall with the precepts of God. What we need to do is insulate our, our heart or mind with God's holy word. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 119.11. Many years ago, your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Taking God's word and storing it up in our heart. The psalmist talked about his love for the law of God. He said, on it I meditate all the day in Psalm 119.97. The psalmist would further say that he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night in Psalm 1-2. How did Jesus defend himself when faced with the temptations of the devil? He quoted scripture, didn't he? He said, it is written. God's word is an ally. We can use it as a source of strength. Remembering that this book has the answer to life's temptations. This book right here is going to tell you what's right and wrong. It's going to tell you what's good and bad. It's going to tell you what's truth or error. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, the writer talked about those He'd been talking about those that had not grown spiritually speaking. But he said, those who are mature in the Christian faith, they have the ability to discern good and evil. You can't make wise decisions without a knowledge of this book. So you need to build a wall with the precepts of God. Number two, build a wall with prayer to God. You ever thought about how much time Jesus spent in prayer to God the Father? Jesus was God in the flesh, God incarnate. And yet over and over again, the Bible talks about Jesus in prayer to God. In Mark chapter 1, the Bible tells us Jesus arose early one morning, went out to a solitary place, and there prayed, Mark 1, verse 35. Before he selected the apostles in Luke 6, the Bible says he spent the night in prayer to God. Prayer is a great resource. When we are faced with an onslaught of thinking that is contrary or out of harmony with the will of God, well, pray to God. Pray for guidance and wisdom and strength. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and wrestling with the cross that was looming before him. Do you know what he did? He prayed. And the Bible says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. The more difficult the circumstance, the more trying the temptation, the greater our prayer life ought to be. Spending time on our knees before God the Father. Have you armed yourself with prayer? Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. God will hear your prayers. You'll just use that form of communication. Thirdly, we need to build a wall of praise to God. 
Let me tell you one of the benefits of coming to worship every first day of the week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and coming back on Wednesday night. One of the benefits is it recharges our spiritual batteries. Let me tell you what, the world is a cruel place. And when you're out in the world, your faith is constantly taking hit after hit after hit. When you're, at, when, when you're in the classroom, again, your faith can take hits. So when you come to worship on the first day of the week or you come back in the middle of the week, what does it do? It strengthens, encourages. There's guidance given. When we come together on the first day of the week or come together in the, middle, in the middle of the week, number one, we are with people of like precious faith. We talk about strength in numbers. We are with people that identify with us. We're with people that are wanting to go to heaven. I mean, we're out here in the world seven days a week, and the world is saying, live like you want, do what you want, act like you want, come together on the first day of the week or in the middle of the week and we pause and reflect on the fact there is a God. There's a God who loves us and cares for us and there is a God who wants us to go to heaven. There's strength. Some of the battles that we face in life, some of the things that maybe we are yielding to by way of temptation. We come to services First day of the week, middle of the week. And we hear what God's word has to say and we say, you know what, I need to back up. I'm, I'm, I'm traveling down a dangerous road. I need, I need to make some changes in my life. And listen, there, there is an agenda in the religious world today. Not immune to the church. It says what we ought to do is entertain people. Listen. I said a minute ago, I like entertainment. The church is not in the entertainment business. The church is in the business of equipping people to get to heaven. When we come together on the first day of the week, we ought to thank God. When we hear his word proclaimed in the classroom from the pulpit, we ought to thank God that we can bow in prayer to him, that we can sing songs edifying or building up one another. There's a fourth thing. We ought to build a wall of purity to God. I want you to listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Here's a litmus test that we would be well served to think about or consider. In light of what we watch, what we listen to, and what we do. Here's what Paul said. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So ask yourself this week, the things that you're watching and listening to and doing, does it meet that litmus test? If it doesn't, 
changes in order. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We've got to protect our heart or our mind. As Paul said, bringing every thought into captivity under the obedience of Christ. I hope and pray. My prayer is that your mind will be captured for Christ. That one day we'll all be in heaven together. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that he is the son of God. Believing that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to encourage you to, to repent of your sins, to confess his name before others, to be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. And why is that? So that your sins might be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. So that God can add you to the church, Acts two forty seven. Maybe you're here tonight. And in all honesty, in all candor, you admit, I'm not where I need to be. I want to encourage you. Let's pray with you and for you. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. We'd be happy to do that with you tonight as we stand and sing.